Hello, welcome to another Azure centric podcast on the, our weekly update shows. My name is Marcos Nogueira, and with me I have my my good friend Andrew Lowes to comment on this week on Azure updates. How are you, Andrew? I'm very good on this uh, magical weekend of bunnies and hopping around and things. It's uh, <laughs> yes. very good to be back. I appreciate and that. chocolate and getting a little bit more uh, energetic. Let's call it this way. Okay. Exactly. To exactly. not offend yes. anyone. Kids in the neighborhood running around this morning. Everybody's excited. It's really wonderful to see. Um, it is. This beautiful it sunny day here in Alberta. Exactly. As as you can see, if you are watching this podcast, and I apologize if you are listening, uh, but we are back recording in daylight time. <laughs> so uh, don't expect... Yeah, we'll just apologize for that now. We're sorry. Exactly. <laughs> we are, as a Canadian, we apologize in advance. But as you can imagine, going to be in a marvelous show. Although we have a team for this week, I have to say. Uh, it's a mix of backups, if we can say it, right? A lot of mm -hmm. announcements on, on backups and some of the security as well that we will see it um, uh, during this week. It's been a very, it's not the, the busiest week, but it's been a good week in regarding updates. So it, it, it makes us, at least for me, it makes me feel uh, way more excited regarding these podcasts when I usually comes Friday uh, and we get our automation sponsored by, not sponsored, but powered by Azure Functions. Mm -hmm. um, the automation that we already put in place to help us out on these, um, on these uh, podcasts. And uh, when we see the list, I say, woo, it's going to be great. Because it's quite a few, I have to mm -hmm. say, quite a few updates that they did it. Uh, yeah, there's some really good ones this week, right? And like you said, the like with the theme around security and backup, I, I kind of think of it as like ops, really, right? Yeah. And I, I think we have a, a really good number of articles as well. It was tough to sift through this yes. week. So we've really got the really good ones that have come up to the top for us. Exactly, exactly. And that and that's a, that's a very good... Way, uh, but yeah, let's jump in this case um, to those. Let's first roll our intro video, and then we will start our show. So hang on for a second, then. So we are back. And let's jump to the first one. And the first one is the backup of the Azure Managed Disk is now in generally available uh, mm -hmm. position. So this is pretty cool, I have to say, uh, because uh, managed disks is something that everyone should use it. Uh, we should abandon a long time ago the way that we should use the, 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 the disks regarding VM. Managed disks basically are a block level storage volumes that they are managed by Azure. So means that we don't know where the disk is, right? We don't know uh, what are the type of disks, uh, if they are doing replication or not. Uh, 
we are just basically consuming the disk. We can't even say is a disk as a service, right? Kind of. It, re it really is as managed desk, right? It is disk as a service uh, kind of a model. Um, that's a really good way to put it, actually, Marcos, because um, as you know, and you were saying, we really should be using managed disk for all of our VMs, even our older ones, we should be updating to use managed disks whenever we can. And if you have a system that you've been waiting to upgrade for, you know, whatever reasons, compatibility within Azure and things like that, then now is a really good time to revisit those little projects. Uh, yes. And they may be, I shouldn't say little, I guess, right? Uh, I should say visit those projects um, because it might be a big, uh, a big deal to upgrade some software and get compatibility and do those changes. But uh, it's a really good time because now with backup in GA for those managed disks, it means that we can do, you know, like what we expect from Azure Backup, right? Like that kind of seamless service that yeah. just runs. We don't have to think about it. Um, it's not like the old days. Um, I remember not that long ago, I want to say about five years ago still, we would back up our VM on-prem in our Hyper-V or VMware stack. And when you take that snapshot, um, always it, it seemed to me like for about 30 seconds or so, the VM would kind of hang a bit. and it might be five seconds, it might be 30, whatever it is in your systems. Um, I think it happened for every administrator that I've ever talked to. And that doesn't happen with Azure Backup. Uh, it's really, really cool. There's no hanging, yes. there's no kind of hiccups with it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and there is a lot of an advantage because if you want the high availability on, on, on this case of Azure Managed Disk, this disk comes with the quite a few nines as an SLA. I think if it I'm does. not I think mistaken. It's three or four nines, isn't it? I think it? it's, it's five really nines. Easy. Five nines. If I'm Is not it five mistaken. nines now? Yeah. See, five I'm nines. already out of date on it. So it's... It's really wild, right? Like, what does that equate to? Like 30 minutes of, of possibility of downtime? I think it's year. eight minutes during a year. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah, you just can't produce that kind of uptime on-prem. Yeah. And now, and now this... And now this is is being now GA. You can be a little bit more conservative uh, because now you can back up independently those disks. Because mm -hmm. the way before, you could only back up the VM, right? That's correct. And yeah, now you can patch. back up yeah. independently the disk way more frequently, right? Um, <laughs> on a very cost effective because if you have a disk that you want to do it. You don't need to restore the entire VM right now. And that's the beauty of this update. It will make us way more um, way more comfortable regarding, regarding uh, the way that we want to perform. Because again, we mentioned this, I don't know which episode was it, but we mentioned that the best uh, backup solution is to recover the amount the most amount of data in the less time. This That's is the correct. best solution. And, and to achieve yeah. that... We want to, well, we want to target that prod data, right? Yeah. And we don't want to do uh, VM restores and things like that if we don't have to. So when we think about, um, you know, we're in a disaster recovery kind of a, a mode, we're not concerned about bringing up all of the things. We want to get payroll running. We want to get 
customer uh, facing software working. We want to make sure our customers aren't impacted, people can get paid and accounting can happen. Everything else we can work on after we have those things, but those are the things that impact customers and people's payroll, right? So we have to really prioritize what matters. Yes. And if we can take just a small uh, snapshot of data, bad wording, I think, there, but a, a little slice of data, um, then we can do it much faster, right? So we can we can build VMs with code faster than we can restore them. Although I will say, restoring out of Azure Backup is pretty darn fast now. Yeah. It is. And and allow us to do it differently. And I apologize. Uh, uh, um, but if, if, and I apologize if I'm getting wrong, but for example, if we have a SQL server that we have running, right? Um, and we have disks that they are for database. We have disks that we have for uh, the logs. We have this that we have for the temporary database. And we have this that we have for, even if we're going on that path, for example, now allow us to just have different times, different backup schedules for each one of them. So we don't need to restore the entire server just to recover, for example, some some logs that we want to commit to the database uh, or something like that. Because the temporary database, for example, uh, and, and, and I apologize if I'm wrong, but the idea is it might not be interesting to recover. The database, it didn't change, but we want just to replay the logs or to recover the logs, right? And And, and those are the types of things that you don't need to waste time, like you said, to just recover the entire VM that is a SQL, that you have multiple disks and all of that. And now you can just target, for example, the the, the disks where the logs are, because that is what you want to re replay it or something like that. This is a, just an example just to see how granular we can be right now uh, 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 with all of that. Of course, that... There are some uh, useful uh, uh, use cases that they even represent over here. So application consistency uh, is not feasible on a line of business that doesn't support the, 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 the VSS, what is the volume shadow copy, for example. Mm -hmm. So if your application has supported, probably uh, it's not the best solution to have, like uh, uh, in this case, the Azure uh, managed disks for, for backing up or having, depending on what you want to do with a little bit of more snapshots and, and so on and so forth. So, but yeah, uh, the idea over here is to, to just talk about this. And I think we are, uh, and the Azure right now makes this way more available to us, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, VSS is kind of the standard way to back things up, right? With a shadow copy, but um, just allows you to create uh, kind of a, a snapshot in parallel with yeah. the VM. And then you copy that snapshot data and then you destroy the snapshot. Absolutely. So it, it's a it's a very good way to do that. Um, but like you said, there's some really good examples in the article there. Yeah, there are. So we highly recommend to go to going on that on that path. The next one that we have, it's a kind of a, a nice one. It's it's again this is security that we've been talking about. Uh, it's kind of the the topics or the two topic main topics that we have for this show. Um, 
is encrypting scopes in Azure storage now generally available. Uh, so encryption scopes, what do you think it is encryption scopes? Oh, it's going to be question day. Okay. <laughs> so. Just for, for our, our, uh, listeners in this case you that's so it's, it's interesting right so it's it's not uh i think the title is a little bit misleading and yes. i think that's maybe a bit what you're asking so i think in this case um you know if we read the update on here we're really talking about keys and we're talking about multiple encryption keys now and that's what we're enabling so i really wish that the title was multiple encryption key scopes available in azure storage <laughs> yes i have to say that when i was uh preparing for the for the podcast i found a few of those links that they are not working correctly uh -oh. um uh, yes someone just published a link that is internal and when you click says you don't have access to this say okay uh, no worries about that but when you hover with your mouse over you see that is under review so we hope that they will update that but that's okay uh but this one again i agree with you uh this one is talking about encryption keys especially for storage accounts okay mm -hmm. for the blob storage accounts and um they are we are getting scopes in this case uh, i think like you said multiple encryption keys scopes in Azure storage is now in GA should be the title probably I, I could agree with you uh, but what it is does is allows you to to scope either the entire storage account or specific on the container on an individual blob blob this is what on the reality this this uh, update will do so instead of creating one encryption key for the entire storage account okay now we can scope that to a specific container exactly so which give us right now way a different level of security because now we don't need to have a proliferation of storage accounts each one of them with their own encryption key we now can have one storage account for example reduce that proliferation with multiple storage keys okay and be able to use that on a different level exactly and i i really love this because uh i as you know i i like to slice and dice my storage accounts and if we have a share going in one location, especially if we have an external share that say remote workers are accessing, right? Uh, I think it's really great because now we can scope the encryption keys within those containers and add multiple keys and it just updates in the account. So we, you know, it's not user impacting. There's no downtime required and we can just implement this very easy. It's a it's a really great improvement for storage accounts. Yes, it is, and 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 allow us, for example, uh, just to give an example for everyone that is that is seeing and listen, uh, allow us to just go on a different path. So, for example, if you have a, an application that requires 
different types of um, access to storage. For example, in this case, the storage accounts that we're talking about. You, you don't need to uh, recode to just having another connection to another storage account. You can use that storage account that is the same for the same application. Now you just need to connect to a different container um, to a different blob, for example, right? And that is secure. So you don't have any kind of uh, spreading across uh, or, or, or accessing in uh, a not an attendant access in this case for those storage accounts because you have an encryption key for each one of them. So now you can leverage that part that you don't need to call out again the, the another storage account that is another connection and all of that and you are all over the place. Now you can have only one storage account with multiple blobs inside that each one of them will have an encryption key so you will, you will be secure. For example, this is what comes to my mind with, with this update, right? And I think it's really valuable because make us a little bit more tight. We don't have the proliferation of the storage accounts um, mm -hmm. and it makes way more managed and still secure, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it makes it makes it easier for security to be well implemented and have some uh, uh, division of keys across a, a single account uh, assigned to just one or even two containers, right? Because we can uh, we can kind of scope those things as the title alludes to. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Moving to the next one, we have now general availability for Azure Data Explorer external tables. So this is a pretty cool one, okay? And this is the one that I was mentioned on the previous update, that there is a link that it's not working uh, very, very, very well, I have to say. But I'm sure that we'll, after Microsoft, we'll see our, our show, they will update that. I'm, I'm very confident about that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but um, the last the, the last query is still on review. So I don't think it's still on DevOps or probably DevOps is still uh, not updating the pipeline. Uh, but yeah, uh, all of that. Talking about now, let's, let's be less geeky. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's a good find and it's worth pointing out when we do find these things. Yes, of course. As you guys mentioned us as well. So we've been, um, we've been in this case actively, it's not criticizing. It's just, oh, no, no, it's no, just, no. it's just a matter of, of, of pointing like you guys did it with us and we love that. So that's why we're giving the feedback in this case so that this, I, I do have to ask you and I apologize for interrupting. Um, would you consider this to be an Easter egg today? Oh, I never thought about that. <laughs> it's a good hunt. Yeah, it could be. It could be Microsoft. So let's let's. I, I will email. I will email them to just let them know about this <laughs> to see if we. If... I'm sorry. It just occurred to me, kind of in the back of my mind, all of a sudden it was, "Hey, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a very good point. And it's a very valid point, I have to say. Uh, but let's, let's, we already diverse. It's so easy for us <laughs> to diverse. I, I, oh my God, it's, it's really, really fantastic, this team together. But um, 
let's go back to azure.explorer external tables the good thing that i like about is is azure.explorer as we starting to see during this show right on the on the several um episodes it's involving a lot mm -hmm. and now you can see data okay on the azure data lake mm -hmm. it's it's marvelous so now you can create and alter external tables in azure storage or azure data lake on azure data explorer it's incredible right yeah and what i really uh, i kind of one of the little details in the update is that you don't actually ingest it into azure data explorer Nope. You can just kind of have it in like a temporary data lake. Is there such a thing, a temporary lake? <laughs> it, well, it's, it's a bit interesting, maybe during springtime or something for a week. <laughs> but yes. well, I, that's how I, I envision these, right? So um, I, I do like that they call it data lake. And I envision it because the lake fills up, right? So the water level comes up in a lake and we fill it up with our data. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's permanent. So in this case, we can use a temporary table, and it's only there for a little bit. And we can analyze that data. We can do all of the things that we need to do, all of the things that we uh, come to expect from Data Explorer that we have available to us in there. And we don't have to ingest it into uh, permanent storage or permanent tables. We can use it. Uh, analyze it and then discard it. So it's really good if we're looking at, say, bulk data from IoT devices, for example, that we may not need to keep, but we do need to have like a summary analysis on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Ed. And it looks like you've been visiting uh, some special islands again, and I'm becoming head shrunk. <laughs> I think it's it's been the the the... The Easter Island. Oh, Easter Island. That's what I was trying to... <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. So we have a new theme for today. Yes. <laughs> Man, I, 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 have, I have no words for, for this. It's... Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you make a couple of technical adjustments and I'll take us into our next article, uh, which is actually a retirement announcement, right? Okay. So... Uh, I'll talk a little bit about Wired Data 2.0, which is currently in preview, but is going to be retired. So it's not going to make it out to GA. And when we uh, reviewed this one, um, when we were getting ready today, we talked about, you know, should we include this or should we exclude this one? And the reason that we did include this was to allow everyone the chance to just kind of think again. We've had a few announcements um, kind of as an overall theme, I would say for the last month or so, that we've talked a little bit about bringing in Azure Monitor and retiring some of the older tools where uh, Microsoft was using those tools as kind of siloed pieces for adding features in. And they've all been rolled in, including wire data, to Azure Monitor now. So the modern tool that we should be using, especially in our production, is Azure Monitor. And this one was just kind of a bit of a reminder, just an honorable mention, really, that uh, Wire Data 2.0 is going to retire. Um, what do you think about that, Marcos? Did I actually remember everything that we wanted to say in that one? <laughs> yes, you did. And and this is this is having a second for me 
uh, a second meaning about everything that we've been saying a lot of those times is about preview. This wire dated 2.0 is in preview, okay, for a long time. It was to kind of getting the goal like you mentioned, right? And now that they involve this with Azure Monitor, a virtual machines insights and the service map, they are discommissioned this in one year. But this wire data is in still in preview. That's correct. So just to give another reinforcement of what we've been telling you in this case that you are listening uh, and seeing at the podcast that usually don't use preview on um, on production. And this is one of the reasons because exactly. right now uh, they are retiring this and this wire data 2.0 didn't even come to GA. Yeah, which is an interesting thing, right? It never made it, it out to general availability. And, uh, you know, we, we always sing the praises of make sure that we don't use preview in production. Um, of course, you know, there's always some different uh, complexities to the rules, but uh, really, this is part of why. So if you became deeply uh, reliant on wire data, and you're using that as part of your monitoring systems, now you have to migrate that uh, because uh, it's going to go into Azure Monitor. And we really, it's, it's about the VM insights, it's about um, service mapping, it's a, it, it's a little bit more detailed, but um, really the whole, the whole focus that we wanna stay on is use the proper GA tools. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and, and and allow us, in this case, to just going uh, on this. But this is a good announcement because I've been using this, and in particular, I have to say, with Azure Sentinel. Because Azure Sentinel mm. is one of them that allow, in this case, to just have that, that uh, configuration, right? Of grabbing the service map, grabbing the insights, for example, in this case, where wire data 2.0 is no longer available for that, which is really good, really good. The next update that we that we are talking about is a GA for virtual machine level disk bursting available on all DSV3 and ESV3 families. I think yeah. it was the previous podcast that we talk about these bursting in this case virtual machines and it the way that you're doing podcasts ago yeah yeah it was if it was not one it was the two podcasts ago two episodes ago that we talk about about this so these vms now this size of vms these vm levels allows you to get burst disks io so allows you to just having like those spikes, those uh, throughputs that you require for all of that. That it was kind of limiting on these families, the DSV3s and the ESV3s. But now you can have, you can have that to just having those bad jobs, to handling those bad jobs that you wanted. Because the bad job is a different 
than a normal VM, correct? Absolutely. So batch job VMs are usually geared for peak usage, right? So a good example is if we think about uh, finance industries where they're going to run batches of payments and process those, right? Uh, so maybe at like midnight or 1 a.m. or something like that, every night you know you're going to be processing millions of transactions, then you know this kind of a bursting is very valuable because you can spec your VM down a little bit to save some good costs and you know be responsible with provisioning systems and editor, but also to be able to handle peak capacity and process those uh, transactions for the business faster as if you had provisioned a much more expensive VM. So bursting VMs, bursting uh, disk uh, for the VMs is a little bit more expensive than a standard disk, but it's not as expensive as going up to, you know, like the F series or something like that, right? Uh, which definitely is quite a bit more than the D series. Yes. Um, it's, it's great because even for me, we just follow the alphabet. So the, the, the further in we go, the more expensive, the bigger the VMs, more memory, more CPU cores, uh, faster disks, bigger disks, more IO, um, all of those things. But it's really important. Um, when I think about the bursting VMs, I always talk to the client about, have we properly spec'd what we need? And if it takes five minutes longer to process, you know, a million transactions, how does that impact the business? Like, is it okay to come down one level and save a lot of money on those VMs? Because when we build out these things, we typically don't just provision one VM, right? We're doing scale sets. Yes. And we may have uh, geographically redundant systems as well. So uh, we're not talking about just saving $100 here. We're talking about saving quite a bit of money, right? Yes. And, and, yeah, yeah, I 100% agree with you. Uh, and, and just to add what you said is this type of VMs and this type of disks, right, is different from a normal disk. Because a normal disk, what you want is a consistent performance, right? You don't have those bursts. They cannot handle really well those bursts, right? So by mean by bursts is, it's like you said, it's a little bit more expensive, but it allows you to just having what's called the normal IOPS, right? Uh, uh, IOPS to just going there and doing the active. But when is required, they can grow. And that is the elasticity that you want is completely different from the normal, let's call it the normal disks, okay? If there is normal disks that they have a limitation of, of, of that IOPS that usually it's, it's attached to the size if you're going P1, for example, to the P whatever it is, um, that is attached to the size, attached to the IOPS, and then if you're going bigger on the size, more IOPS do you have? Um, and, and that's the part that is really uh, difficult to manage on those type of workloads. So the example that even you see on the, on, the po on the blog post, it's like those web servers that they need to, to handle the traffic of spikes smoothly. So you cannot prevent those um, or you can prevent those, 
right right now uh, uh, but you have already the VM that is that is available there that you can that can handles those type of spikes right and that's the part that these type of of disks you will be guaranteed or not guaranteed you will be more comfortable that will handle those spikes that you need it right and i think it's important just to add what you were saying um that it is and it, at the end is going to be way more cost efficient because you are not paying for those for those iops only when you required right that's and, correct and and then is it, where it makes way more efficient because if you are doing on a normal way you have to go on the size of the disk just to achieve those type of iops and then you are permanently paying for that in this case only if you're going on that type of let's say iops requirement uh, that you are paying for that when you're coming down to a normal value if you can call it that way um is going to be more way more effective right and that's the part that i like about these uh bursting discs yeah absolutely yeah it gives a uh, more flexibility in being able to uh spec the vms down but really just have that elasticity like you were saying to grow and be able to handle well bursts of processing yeah absolutely absolutely the next the next update that we are going to talk about is about the public preview on zone redundant configuration for azure sql database serverless compute tier uh so this this is in preview okay uh again this is something that we don't want to use this in production it's something oh, that that will affect you directly but it's good to know that again they are creating the reliability on on azure sql um on the compute here for zone redundant so we are now outside of the region we are creating that and that goes on the topic that um mark Rusinovich launched for example on ignite uh, that was saying that the end of, I think it was this year, if I'm not mistaken, all of the Azure regions will have at least more than one region. So at least to have two regions or three regions, I think it was the, the goal uh, on each um, three zones, sorry, not three regions, three zones on each region until the end of the year, which is a very bold statement that and a very yeah, good availability zones to all of the regions yeah um really big deal right because it means that they have to invest in physical infrastructure as well as building out everything um to support it all right so yeah uh, that's a lot of growth when we think about that a lot in of terms growth. of data centers yes. right and and one of the things that i was especially uh, on this week that we had the um that we had what's called the mvp summit that is an internal meeting with mvps and product groups um and then i will double check the i i did double check this they did improve something that um i found very curious uh because some i don't know how long ago uh the the way that they were building uh regions 
was the 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 distance between data centers right uh they have to be within a certain latency and that latency was uh, sub five milliseconds right now they reduce that look at this to sub two milliseconds so mm -hmm. what defines a region right now is those data centers okay that they are together they they are connected on the network that is sub two milliseconds okay and that's what defines so basically for their fiber it's around i think 100 miles from each other so and then presents a different layer of resilience because on the same region uh, you have you will have three data centers right three zones so you can have a power failure you can have um a cooling system failure whatever it is that you want in this case that can fail it and now you will have more resilient to all of those outages that we were seeing um last uh months let's call it this way right <laughs> exactly exactly yeah so that's really interesting um less than two milliseconds uh within the region between data centers that's pretty amazing. So that tells me that they've been investing even more in a lot of large capability, very thick broadband uh, fiber between the data centers. And that also is supported by um, some of those articles that we've seen from our CTO at Microsoft, um, Mr. Rasanovich. Our good friend, right? Our dear friend. Oh, uh, yes, a very. <laughs> I think he was number one of, of being subscribing this, this, this channel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't did want to put you on the spot, Mark. But but yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I feel like he's probably far too busy to worry about our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on! Are you diminishing our our podcast right now? Uh, Although we do we do chat him up quite a bit in here. Yes. We do uh, we do um, raise him up and thank. Uh, certainly Microsoft and the leaders of Microsoft. Um, and I think this is actually kind of a good example of uh, what um, just regular guys like you and I see in Microsoft is the kind of the stories behind the headlines with this, right? It was like all these investments they're making and how the things tie together, which is one of the things I love about when we get to sit and chat like this, because we get to kind of think out loud a little bit about how the different stories over the past, uh, you know, months and uh, weeks and things like that, they come together. And, you know, this is a really good example of how we see that, right? So all these investments in Microsoft networking, the yeah. fiber, the data centers they're building out, availability zones, it's all connected together and we can see how Microsoft has been building the foundations, laying down what's going to support future products and future advancements. So it kind of opens up um, my mind a little bit to uh, what might lie ahead. What's next um, coming up in six or 12 months, right? Yeah. So um, it's interesting. We should do, uh, we should do a session me, I don't know, maybe online or offline, but we, you and I should just do a session where we write down some things we think are going to happen, like our top five, and then open them up like next Easter and see. 
I can't. I can't do that. Uh, and 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 I have the reason that I cannot do that is I already have that inside because uh, because being an Azure MVP, right? Oh, so this is true. This and is then, true. and then I will be compiled inside. to just telling you what is on the roadmap, and then I will uh, I will not respect my NDA. Um, and then so I can, yeah, I can be in trouble for that. that. That's for sure. That's so, serious. But all of this is the perfect segue for the next update. So the general availability of Express route monitoring in Azure monitor networking sites. So Azure Express route has been one of the vehicles, let's call it this way, to just connect your either your data center and offices, now I'm seeing offices being using Express Route, not only data centers, to just connect to the to Azure. So now you can monitoring those. Although this is a totally separated circuit, uh, but it was, I have to say, a black hole regarding how, we, how it was the monitoring, what we had going through in this case, of the express route, it was a kind of a bit of, of um, how I can say a black hole, like I mentioned. Right? It was, yeah. We had to we had to monitor it like just it was a regular VPN segment or even just a regular hardwired segment within a data center. So we had to use our uh, ports on our network devices in the data center or at the office wherever you're connecting it to that. Uh, you can monitor for packet loss, uh, drops, all those different things, right? Yeah. So now it's built in to ExpressRoute. It's part of the feature set that we subscribe to. And there's like no fee to use this, just your usual usage of Azure Monitor, data storage, if you're collecting the data, those kinds of, like those pieces are always part of the deal that you have to accept. But um, I, I think that this is really great. Um, uh, as you know, I'm working with a large company right now that has a very extensive uh, MPLS network that utilizes a lot of express route and global reach connections. And uh, it's going to be very helpful for them in this case uh, because they're building a lot of interconnectivity with Azure. And uh, it's absolutely amazing that we're going to be able to just build in this monitoring for the cloud side of everything. It's, it's gonna be really great. So I, I can see how this is going to help a lot of companies and a lot of, if if it's a broken out monitoring department, but the IT department in particular um, is gonna really uh, find this quite helpful. I know uh, I wish this was here for the last many years, but uh, I'm certainly glad that it's here now. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I could not agree more because it's it's one of the things that we want to, to do it um and yes it it allows a lot a lot of those a lot of those things uh to do it with with that um and it's 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 marvelous to have to have now more insight on express route um and it's been used because a lot of a lot of organizations they are going in this case um into into the into the cloud and leveraging more and, and leveraging Express Route, especially uh, for the low latency and the security of getting into the Microsoft peering, for example, but also mm -hmm. for reducing the cost or control the cost of egress traffic 
right? Exactly. It, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I like that you mentioned the Microsoft peering because that's important. So um, I know I've seen a lot of, um, for example, virtualized uh, desktops that are coming from on-prem data centers still. And they've been trying to find ways to make it better for people to use uh, Teams within VDIs. And that Microsoft peering over an express route can really, really help reduce the latency and increase the performance and usability of Teams inside a VDI with express route. Um, so I think that adding the monitoring is going to make um, obtaining those metrics, like what is our bandwidth that's available? Um, is this connection as stable as we want it to be? So there's a lot of different metrics that businesses are going to be able to utilize to really help solve real world problems like that, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and and uh, yeah, it's it, it's great to see to see that part. Let's move to the next one. It's a little bit, uh, I have to say, outside of our realm, but as a geek guy, um, uh, and we love those in development that they are announcing. This is about Azure SQL Managed Instance. Mm -hmm. A performance optimization change to default setting is coming soon. Uh, again, the title doesn't mention anything what is this performance optimization, but what they are talking about is the max degree of parallelism, the max DOP, okay, regarding the new SQL managed instance. So they are changing the default value from zero to eight. And now you may think, in this case, not you uh, that you are licensing, what does that mean? Uh, why changing the zero to eight means something, right? Means that the zero was unlimited, okay? So means that you were having, in this case, unlimited, uh, uh, in this case, queries. If I'm not, and again, I'm not a DBA, um, that when the max stop is other than one, okay? So from the zero to one, the database engine may execute queries using multiple concurrent threads. So now that is was unlimited, so you can use unlimited threads. Now you can have those to limit it, that performance that you want or not. Uh, so it's a good thing that you can, uh, the number of, of concurrently executing threads also resulting on CPU utilization it really depends on this max stop value. So higher the value, in this case, general results in more threat and higher resource utilization. So now exactly. you will have to choose between the zero, that is the default, to eight. Yeah, eight. yeah, eight will be the new default. And if it needs to be higher or lower, um, that's about... Uh, you know, really the responsibility of the DBA yeah. in tuning the configuration. So one of the things that we really heard um, early on with SQL managed instance was that, um, you know, businesses had uh, a, and a valid concern about configuration. Um, you know, can we configure and tune and customize the SQL database 
in a similar way that we do in-house on our in our own data center today. So I would say uh, it's taken a little bit of time to let all of the features come down for tuning and configuration, but it's really close. Um, it's very highly configurable and DBAs can really tune performance at a deep level and monitor and troubleshoot that performance uh, in Azure SQL managed instances now. So it's a, it's a fantastic product. So adding this, um, and of course this is development, so it's just coming down the pipeline now. It hasn't even hit preview, it's just they're working on this. So this is gonna be another cool uh, feature to be able to tune your managed instance of SQL, yeah? Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's another way that you can even customize a SQL, in this case, not the SQL, not Azure SQL, but the SQL managed instance um, in your in, in in Azure, in this case, for you. The next update that we're going to talk about is the general availability of Azure Backup support, backup and restore of Azure dedicated hosts. So again, Azure Backups is really improving a lot. And now we can backup and restore the dedicated hosts. So means that we have a dedicated host and we already mentioned this a few times ago, a few episodes ago, uh, and if uh, and audible mentions on, on other episodes about this Azure dedicated host. Uh, mm -hmm. We even mentioned that this is being used for those very big VMs, for example, if you want to run it. So now, because you have access to this host, uh, you can use Azure Backup uh, now supports to backup, in this case, your dedicated host, which is awesome because it was in preview uh, and it didn't have any other protection regarding these hosts. Yes, it was a little difficult to uh, get backups. You had to do kind of guest layer and uh, data exports or sync um, storage yeah. accounts with Azure files and things like that, right? So you had to use kind of workarounds so now we can directly apply Azure Backup to the full dedicated host. But even better, we can restore yes. that dedicated host with Azure Backup. And that's the key, right? So we talk a lot about the cool features of Azure Backup. But using Restore, um, as we all learn a hard lesson uh, once, some of us, it takes more than once, but um, we can back up all day long. But if we don't test and validate those restores, um, well, your backups are just backups. It's just a bunch of files in another a storage account. Um, so we have to be careful. We have to make sure that we're building good test plans, good restore plans. Yes. And uh, I, I feel strongly, as you know, about that um, because it's part of our responsibilities as good administrators and good architects to make sure that our organizations and our clients don't just have the test plan, but that we support them and we help them execute that restore test. Yes. Uh, so critical. So critical. It is. It is. It is critical. And now we are a little bit, we are advanced even more that, and it's good to see that Azure Backup. So if you see it and, and, and we can kind of, let's go on, on the, on the path of, of, of the time. So remember Azure Backup that was only doing backups of VMs. 
then we saw that he's doing backups of SQL as well. And now it's backups of files and file shares. And then now is backing up of, of disks. And now he's backing up, in this case, SAP Anna. That is incredible, right? And now he's becoming uh, to do backups of dedicated hosts. So it did involve a lot because it's like you mentioned, it's a key component on the business continuity uh, of a company to have backups and nothing more than, than the native one. You can still use your favorite backup solution. Uh, Absolutely. But yeah, in this Azure case, it's very flexible. It's very flexible. It doesn't stop. But you have Azure Backup that becomes a very good competitor with other ones that you have all of that native uh, solution to have it. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's great to, to use it. And continuing on this segue of, of backups and everything else, the next update is the public preview of Backup and Restore of Azure VM scale set with uniform and flexible orchestration is now supported. This one is really freaking cool. It uh, is. I want to say about time that this one's coming out. Yeah. So uh, backing up and restoring a full scale set with the configurations, that's amazing. Um, because right now, as you know, we would have to rebuild that. So we can back up a VM or the data out of a scale set that's utilized, but then we have to rebuild. So whether it's using ARM templates, Terraform, you know, CLI, it doesn't matter how you do it. You still have to rebuild that scale set yeah. and then restore data into it. Yeah. Um, and that is a valid way to restore things, but now you can do it as part of Azure Backup yeah. again. Here we go, huge, huge leaps ahead. It is, but I just want to go and step a little bit back to just mention that Azure VM scale set is different than Azure VM availability set. <laughs> yes, that's a very good point. Okay. So let's, let's explore that. So let's talk about what is an availability set and what is a scale set. Absolutely. Availability set is the way that you can deploy a VM, okay? Although they can be independently from each other, right? Regarding configuration and all of that, that you can deploy across multiple racks within the same zone, okay? So in this case, racks, they call it domains. And in this case, you can, uh, inside of the availability set, uh, so you can, you can, a configure if you want, for example, imagine that you have a web server um, or in this case, let's call it domain controllers, for example. Okay. So you have a set of domain controllers that they are configuration totally independent. They share, of course, the Active Directory, right, by their synchronization, but they are independent from each other. So what do you want to do it regarding deploying that on a viability set is you are make sure that that server within the same zone, okay, they are in one domain and the other one is on the other domain. So when you are deploying, you are not deploying everyone on the same domain, hence the same rack or the same server. So if that server becomes unavailable, then you are not losing like three or four domain controllers at once. That's why you create a viability sets. Scale sets, on the other hand, is a totally different ballpark. 
So it's it's more used for a web server, for example, that you can have the same configuration and you can cross, you can share the same configuration. What does that mean? It means that instead of scaling up, you are scaling out. So you have adding the same server with the same configuration on that pool of servers that usually you will have some type of load balancing right in front of that that's why i use the web servers uh, and i use the web servers for the scale set and not for the availability set to not confuse um, in this case because usually you can when you build the scale set you build as well an uh, um, a load balancer in front that when you add a new version of or a new machine is exactly the same configuration you you kind of following the template to doing all of that but there is like you mentioned a lot of configuration of the uh, servers right each server needs to be exactly the same uh, the configuration of the load balancer the configuration of all of that and that needs to be orchestrated right exactly and this backup and restore allows you to do that so that's the beauty that's the excitement for us that now we can backup and in a matter of some time i don't want to quantify the time <laughs> It's funny, I was waiting to jump in on that one uh, to say, hey, whatever. Exactly. I don't want to quantify the time. In, in the period of time, let's say, we can no, I, I restore agree. the entire, the entire VM skills. pretty set. amazing when it comes to performance. It is. Um, there's a lot of 10 gig and 100 gig um, segments that power everything in the back. And I'm sure that they're working on even faster yeah. already. So uh, that said, that said, <laughs> um, if you're trying to restore a, a two gig CAD file, sometimes that sucker will sit there all day. Forever. <laughs> and that's why I, I was on that path. But then I remind me that last week I was talking to, um, to a customer of mine, say, how long it takes to restore? And they say, it takes time. Can you quantify that? So I can tell you that takes under certain minutes, but you have to, to read all of the small letters, right? Because it depends. Yeah. So it, it's always very contentious, right? So it it's is. going to be different for every system. It's going to be different, um, again, in every data center and every region within Azure, because there's not just your usage that matters when you're trying to restore something. It's the usage of everybody else. And this is a public cloud uh, kind of a, a challenge, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what I always say, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to say the same thing I said like five minutes ago, is that backup is only as good as your last restore test. So if you're comfortable and you've run through your playbook of uh, validating and restoring everything and doing all those things, then you have a good idea after you do that a handful of times, does it take five minutes or does it take five hours? Because some, some it maybe there's some differences in there. So if you do a bunch of restore tests on a regular basis, like once a month, once a quarter, whatever, whatever it is, then you will know how long it takes in your playbook. And I really hope that businesses do take that seriously. Um, some do. 
and some kind of, um, can we say, go halfway on it. Um, so I think uh, it's, you know, you ha you're only as good as your last restore and uh, the time is part of that equation. Absolutely. I could not agree more with that. I definitely could not agree more with that. So and by the way, that was a very good explanation of the difference oh, for availability sets and scale sets, not to get too sidetracked off that one. <laughs> so th thank you for uh, explaining that. And That's okay. just to be really simple about it, I think that that takes us into something that we find is very much available, right? It is. Do you want to get the uh, virtual desktop? So we've hit GA for Azure Monitor in WVD, Windows Virtual Desktop. Yes. So this one is really cool. So this was one um, that Microsoft worked really hard last year through uh, the starting phases of the pandemic that we um, were able to get the products out for Virtual Desktop. Um, Microsoft worked really, I don't, I don't even know how to phrase it, so hard to get uh, tools like Teams, uh, SharePoint Online, all those things, and then also supplement that with Windows Virtual Desktop um, as another tool to enable everybody to work from home, work remotely. And I think that this was an amazing thing. So in this case, Azure Monitor is now in GA. So it took a little bit of time um, to integrate Azure Monitor with it, but there's actually a lot of metrics available in there. So um, what what's one of the things that stands out in this for you, Marcos? For me, it, it, it sends out different things. Uh, um, one of them is be able to monitoring um, on a 360 degree view. So basically cover everything that you want to cover uh, on a simple way, your uh, Windows Virtual Desktop infrastructure right or environment in this case because when you when you build this if you are familiar with the windows virtual desktop infrastructure there are some services that you don't see it um directly right exactly. you will see yeah. the host it pools. made it challenging to diagnose the session problems right yes. so we're used to doing like being able to get those metrics uh for example in a citrix environment yeah and in WVD, um, it, it was uh, the maturity of the product just didn't support visibility for the monitoring yet. Um, you had to I, go on that path on to monitoring this with PowerShell, okay? Exactly. Because exactly. that was the only way, uh, the only way to troubleshooting what was going wrong, wrong on this. It was going on the PowerShell because again, the only thing that we that you were able to see right on all of these on your infrastructure was just host pools but you have way more than host pools that that needs so for example the portal the gateway the broker and all of that you are it was hidden in these infrastructure um and only available through powershell so there was no a place that uh, at the, at least the beginning when I started using this as a preview, um, the challenge is, okay, but where is my broker? Where is my my gateway? How I can configure those? And and it was through PowerShell, uh, all of that. So, and even 
creating those 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 pools and and all of that it was i found way more interesting uh, to build with powershell that we had way more granularity than through the portal i have to say but they involve it uh, again this was on the v1 v2 they involve it way better right now but they were missing this part it was missing and we covered this on the preview on this on this show uh, I think so. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't remember how, mo- uh, how many podcasts or many episodes ago, but we'll we did cover this <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Absolutely for sure. That was more than two, because we are we we are doing this weekly, and definitely was not two weeks ago. <laughs> no, it was it was a little while ago. I have to admit, um, but it just just the same though. So um, WVD is a really cool ecosystem. And uh, I'm just going to throw in my weekly plug for Microsoft Learn here. And I'm just going to say for the WVD modules, the virtual desktop, um, Microsoft Learn has some really excellent content um, in this regard. And I would encourage all of our listeners and viewers, and, you know, even if you're just reading a bit of a tidbit on this one, uh, if you catch this little tidbit, please go check out Microsoft Learn. Uh, for Windows Virtual Desktop. It's actually really great modules, and it kind of takes you through everything from deployment to troubleshooting and monitoring. And um, that's really important that we at least know how to support that. It is. And it's not only that. There is a a, a, a hidden gem inside of this update. Okay? Uh, I was thinking that you would mention, but I want to jump into this, Mm -hmm. is that within... This they have they are including as well workbooks. Okay, so they are including on the GA the version one of workbooks regarding how you should monitoring this, how you should going and you have a deeper analysis. So they have they are adding way more things just besides uh, managing on these or adding these availability. So. Uh, they are adding some content inside some workbooks that explains and all of that. And, and, and you can leverage the workbooks that they are coming inside of that. So it's highly recommended that you going on this path, in this case for, for, for the Windows uh, virtual, virtual desktops. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Workbooks are a really great way to explore that information and kind of get deeper into your data. Yeah, absolutely. Searching subjects and now talking about Azure Security Center. So we're coming to the security part. We start a little bit with with encryptions and that uh, encryption keys and, and, and that scope for the Azure storage. Now talking about Azure Security Center and all the updates that they were released in March. So from all the updates that have been released in March, and there was a, quite a few, like six or seven, right, that they were releasing in March. There mm-hmm. are a few that I want to talk about it. And the first one is the Azure Firewall Manage integration we are integrated with Security Center. So that means that now you can manage from Security Center all of those, all of those firewalls, and there is an integration so you can see which is affecting what and can be reported and can do it. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I and say. I think I think that one's actually really important because uh, Firewall Manager also allows us to use third-party uh, network virtual appliances. Yeah. So this is uh, going to really help bring a lot of that buried, uh, tough to find data on your network up, right? Your Azure network. So I think it's it's a very important integration and uh, make sure that if you're using, um, especially third-party NVA integration, because it, it, it already is adding some complexity and uh, not that it's complex to do. It's just uh, you. It, it can make it difficult to troubleshoot the full chain. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Uh, this is a good way to bring those things to light. And certainly Secure Score is one of the things uh, I actually love. Uh, I'm not going to go uh, start talking about that because we'll be here for another like two hours. So At least. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what was your favorite in this case? Besides that so, one that's already taken. Sorry. Uh, well, yeah, I know Azure Firewall is already taken. So I'm going <laughs> to go one down. I'm going to say um, my next favorite one is actually the second mention in that update, which is the Monitor Workbooks uh, integration into Security Center. And, and they're providing three templates, three workbook templates for us to kind of get us started and kick us off. Exactly. So I really like uh, the whole, um, what's the word I'm looking for, proliferation. So workbooks are really finding their way into all of the different spaces across Azure now. And uh, I think it's just awesome because uh, it's a really good way to kind of package um, a report that you want to use to make your data more visible and easier to consume for humans. And that's one of the things that I have long felt that um, the whole Power BI and the whole Azure cloud model have done really, really well at, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Because they publish these free tools and they help us to find ways to take advantage of information. So one of the things that they publish uh, for this one uh, is audit... Uh, the audit report um, preview. And uh, that's really important for compatibility. So uh, they give us a template that helps us to bring up ISO, SOC, PCI, high trust. So all of these um, things that we've been talking about in other security related updates in our podcast for hardware compatibilities within Microsoft, the secure computing. Um, that's really starting to come across in all of the things and we can tie it together with workbooks. So uh, I would say a little bit nerdy on the reporting side, but uh, kind of cool. It, it's a really good update for it everybody. Is, it is. And, and, and it's very good to see that they are doing all of that investment. And just going on a segue for the, for the last but not the least update oh, the last one is the Azure Security Center talking about that but now the the public preview so uh we talk about the previews that they release in march but the ones that they are ready uh working in march and from here besides the the one that i want to point it out we only have two in this case uh one is the sql vulnerability assessment that now includes the disable rule experience that is in preview again this is public preview 
But the second one, I think it, it kind of obfuscates the first one that is really important. That is the regulatory compliance dashboard. Now includes Azure audit reports. So mm -hmm. this one, it's really important because now you will have a compliance like you mentioned with IP, with IPA, with eTrust, NIST, and all of that, that will have a kind of a secure card. Let's call it this way, right? We can call it almost that way, that they will have that for this uh, Azure Security Center. So within Azure Security Center, if you, see, if you have a regulatory compliance to fulfill, now you have inside of that, of, of Azure Security Center, some kind of audit report to saying that you are complying on this matter, on this matter, but not comply on that one. And absolutely sure that you will have over there a link to say you need to do this, this, and this to be compliant with that one. And this yeah, is and will help I really a lot. I love about that, that scoring model yes. that Microsoft has used for all of those different things. Absolutely. Um, and within Secure Score, uh, the depth that you can get to your configuration and addressing security compliances, absolutely amazing. And like you said, the link that they provide with it is about this is what we this is what we found. This yeah. is what is recommended to become compliant. Exactly. Um, so it it makes our job a lot easier. But the net result is that organizations are much much more secure, and we can do it. Uh, by biting off little pieces that we can implement, right? So we don't have to say, okay, we're going to become HIPAA compliant, uh, you know, next quarter. Um, wow, that's yeah. a that's a really big statement, right? <laughs> There's a lot <laughs> it to is. it, right? It so, is. And so it, 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 I love those. And it's not only that, is allow us to go on different level. It's like an audit when, because you have to, you have to uh, demonstrate that you are compliant with those regulatory compliance, right? And right. for the, uh, uh, the audit team that needs to come, I don't know, every year or every time or whatever it is their their schedule, to just report that you are compliant, it's so much easier. Because in, in the past, if you don't have that, they need to give you all of that and you need to prove that you are doing that. And by, by in this case, Having that that Azure audit reports, you just print that report, you just export that report to, for example, a spreadsheet, send that, say, here is I'm compliant and this is the reason why. And then it's so easy now, all of the, the, the backward, all of the, the back work that Microsoft is doing to facilitate that that to us. So we are way more effective on that way to be compliant because being compliant, those regular, um, those regulatory um, uh, institutions, they want to do that just for our security. It's not because they want, because they feel like the wind is going on that direction, right? It's more like they need those things to protect, in this case, either information, to protect the customers, to protect the patients, depending on the regulatory that we are talking about, right? Exactly. It's about the security of the data and how we handle that, that data and how we transmit that data and all of that, right? And, and it's about 
security at the end, no more than that, and be able to achieve that on an easy way, um, on a, on on the way that we can even make sure that even some changes, and this is the important part, because a lot of organizations that I've been working with, we were able to match those regulatory compliance, right? And after that, there is a change, okay, that we made, uh, and we and we we got that certification that we are compliant with that regulatory. Awesome, good. Everyone got the stamp, and now the the, the organization is compliance um, with that regulatory. That's awesome. But then comes the changes that you need to do on the environment, all right? And because you already did that, now you don't have anything else to audit those changes. If you deviate or not, imagine this, you're implementing a new system after that compliance. Now on the next time that you are auditing this, you are missing those because you add a system and with all of that stress of adding a system, uh, a security system and all of that, you probably could miss one or two of those and now you are not compliant anymore. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the things that's amazing about the secure score model is it actually assesses every 24 hours yeah. on your environment and it weighs your configuration against other tenants anonymized that are like you, but also against the compliance standards that you've chosen. Absolutely. So in this case, if we still pick on HIPAA, then, um, you know, it, if any rules update in that compliance um, uh, set of rules, then those updates are then measured against your environment. Even. And like you said, those little changes we make day to day, uh, a good example, let's, let's add a virtual desktop to that mix. So we make configuration changes to uh, accommodate users, uh, adding different software packages, how does that weigh against compliance standards when we make these little minor incremental changes? The secure score does measure those things because it looks at our configurations. Yeah, absolutely. And that's so, like you were saying, it's very important because if we look at that once a week or every two weeks or something, and we bite off these little pieces that we have to fix in the customer environment, then once a year when we try to get ready for the HIPAA audit, oh my gosh, uh, we've both uh, been party to that where companies uh, try to get ready for these audits. And it's this huge job because there's so many things to do. And they often have no idea Absolutely. that there's so many things that are out of compliance. Absolutely. And that, yeah, and, so and this has helped us to just be on track. And, and again, those security scores, I just want to reinforce that they are just a guidance. You don't it, need... It is. You yeah, don't, it's it, not written in stone. Exactly. Yeah. You don't need to eat the maximum value that they present there because those those security cards it represents on what you've been enabled and not enabled. So the security card can increase or decrease depending on what you are deployed. But yeah, For sure. that's, that's I just want to reinforce that. We suddenly come to the end of our episode today um, or this week uh, it's been a very good one I have to say uh, longer than I expected as usual 
Uh, we cannot keep <laughs> in our time frames. <laughs> but I think uh, if you are listening, um, thank you for, for being over here. Please don't forget to subscribe, giving the thumbs up. I have to say thank you to all of you that are supporting. On the, and since we adopt this new way to, to do it, um, the tremendous feedback that we are receiving, it just blow our mind. And it's been amazing. It's been amazing. So we want to thank you in this case. And thank you, Andrew, uh, for being here one more time. Um, uh, again, this is our highlight of the week. I think we are being repetitive every single week, but that's okay. Um, so thank you. Uh, and I hope I can see you uh, next week. Right? Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And thank you, Marcos, for having me again. You're very Appreciate welcome. everybody. Bye.